Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, today we got about a year's worth of major business stories in a single news cycle. Disney reinvented itself. J.P. Morgan delivered a stunning quarter. Chevron's paying $33 billion to acquire in a darko. And that was good enough to send all the averages flying. Dow pole vaulting 269 points. Remember, Disney and J.P. Morgan are in the Dow. Ah. S&P gaining 0.66%, NASDAQ advancing 0.46%. Later in the show, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do with those three fabulous situations. But please... Have no illusions, people. This positivity will be hard to sustain. Even though earnings season kicked off with an amazingly bullish bang. We'll be right back where we started from once next week rolls around. Unless Apple comes in on Monday uh, and bids for both CBS and Viacom, not going to happen. While Occidental Petroleum scoops up Apache, always a possibility. And we get perfect quarters from Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. Highly unlikely. This isn't a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately market. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-this-morning market. So with that in mind, what's the game plan for next week? Oh, let me start with Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. They were put on Monday morning. I think Citi will have a hard time topping J.P. Morgan. It could be more like Wells Fargo, which was a tad subdued on the conference call, causing the stock to give up all its early session gains and only close down $1.25. I doubt City will be as bad, but the stock's run up too much at this point. So don't get too excited here. People want revenue growth, not endless buybacks. Goldman's trigger. CEO David Solomon is starting to make his mark, and I like his mark. But the long knives will be out for these guys over that huge fraud slash corruption case in Malaysia. As far as I'm concerned, this whole scandal turns out on, turns on whether or not Goldman's compliance team actually knows what they're doing. I think they're the best in the business, but you can't always stop every potential crook who works for you, especially when you've got tens of thousands of employees. If the stock pulls back, I'd be a buyer. Next up, well, we got the worst active stock in the entire universe, and I'm talking about United Health, UNH. We, we had them on the show once. It reports on Tuesday morning. She had a dozen points. In just today's session, a dozen points. That was easy. Money managers have collectively given up on the health insurance space because so many candidates running for president are campaigning on some form of single payer. I actually like the stock, though, and I'm ready to tell you that the coast is clear after we hear what the company has to say, given the extreme decline. We also get results from Johnson Johnson. I think they're going to have a great story to tell. Unfortunately, there's still some overhang from that talc issue. And I'd rather find out that the big verdict against them in Missouri has been overturned than hear about a big upside surprise. Bank of America reports, too. Oh, I bet it'll be good, but not actually good enough to push the stock higher. I mean, given that the darn thing already rallied nearly 4% today in anticipation of a good quarter. After the close, we hear from Netflix. I think business will be strong. 
And they'll talk about how they welcome the new competition from Disney and Apple. Of course, the stock got slammed today, but I'm skeptical of a big gain here, if only because so many people wrongly do believe the streaming business is zero sum. Hey, listen, if Netflix pulls back on a solid quarter, I'd rather be a bar. What else? I like a pair of very different transports going into the earnings, CSX and United Continental. These are companies with fantastic management teams that have figured out how to make money regardless of the obstacles in front of their industries. CXS is doing precision railroading, uh, running everything as efficiently as possible. United Continental has an edge over the other airlines because the fleet doesn't have as much exposure to Boeing's grounded 737 MAX. Quick shout out to Phil LeBeau, best reporting I've ever seen on a major issue like this. Here's a cheap one, IBM. Sometime, sometime, sometime in the second half of the year, we don't know, the merger with Kramer Fave Red Hat will close. And I bet that gets people more juiced about the stock. Do you buy it now? Well, you got a 4.37% yield and potential decent quarter. I think it could be a terrific opportunity, frankly, but there's no urgency. I want to hear Red Hat's Jim Whitehurst on the conference call. That'd be so reassuring because I love that guy. Wednesday is massive. I like both PepsiCo and Morgan Stanley before they report. Both stocks have run. Maybe you get some bad news from Washington, say, on like these two days. Maybe bad Chinese trade talks or something. Always a possibility. Then you get a chance to buy these two at a discount. These two, I think, are standouts, okay? Otherwise, I just buy some before and then they report and then maybe some after. I expect both companies to raise their forecasts. What more could you ask for? You want to learn how to put on a fantastic conference call? Well, I got a guy I'll teach you. His name is Miles White. He's from Abbott Labs. I'm anticipating an awesome quarter from these guys. Lots of good stuff about their diabetes monitoring sales. Just an incredibly consistent company. One more. When we come in in the morning, we'll have heard from a company called ASML, which is a Dutch company that makes semiconductor capital manufacturing equipment. Someone clearly thinks this is about to shoot the lights out because the stock was up big today. Nearly five bucks. If ASML can deliver, you'll see a whole semiconductor cohort pop. I wouldn't buy this one, though. Just listen. I prefer Lamb Research if you want a semiconductor machinery play. The stock market's closed on Good Friday, so a lot of companies that would typically have reported on, good, on that Friday are jamming Thursday, and it's going to be a ridiculously impossible day. Uh, of the good ones, the ones worth buying ahead of the earnings, I want you to start with Honeywell, which is a much easier way to play aerospace than Boeing, because I expect CEO Darius Damchek to give us some terrific numbers. We also hear from America's Best, complicated. It's technically a financial technology stock, and right now the market loves these fintechs. However... Amex has a tendency to sell off after reports. My advice, wait until you see the whites of the seller's eyes and then pull the trigger. What an interesting idea. A little off the beaten track. Danaher, DHR. We own it for the Chapel Trust. We're not taking profits. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that this stock has had a monster move thanks to the purchase of GE's life sciences business. A lot of people feel they stole it. I thought they paid a full price, but that's not the point. I want to see how Danaher's going to integrate it. If you hear that 2019 is going to be an investment year because of that acquisition, the stock is going to get hit. And then you pounce. I adore the rails. Mentioned that earlier, but Union Pacific's a little tough. This company's been delivering with fantastic numbers. Gigantic buyback. Of course, though, they now need to worry about crops being weak because of all the storms and fracking sand falling through the floor because they have so much of it now in the Permian area. I wouldn't get in front of the speeding train. Then there's Schlumberger. Schlumberger, the huge and best-of-breed oil service company. With an awful stock, Slob CEO has called the last half dozen bottoms in oil. Frankly, it's become pretty tiresome. I mention this because if you see lots of oil producers getting takeover bids, it may mean the oil service business could have come back. I think the stock is cheap. Chapel Trust owns it. Nobody cares. Last but not least, there's the Pinterest IBO. 
Now, it's catchy. It's on the verge of turning a profit. I like that. And the underwriters are pricing the deal at a lower valuation than the last round of private financing. More on that later about whether that's good or bad. I think it's a tough, it's really tough to swallow a unicorn. And post the Lyft fiasco, unicorns are suspect. So unless you can get a piece on the actual deal, you should keep your powder dry. Don't buy in the aftermarket for IPO. That is going to be better suited to you. Bottom line, in the cacophony of earnings, remember, this market has no memory. Today was terrific. But come Monday, we're at the mercy of the next news cycle. Aaron in Oregon, where my daughter lives. Aaron! Hey, Jim. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thank you. So my question is about Cisco Systems. I've been listening to the president speak today about new initiatives that support the building of the 5G network. Yes. I'm looking at companies that can possibly benefit from the transition to the 5G infrastructure. Uh, Even though the stock is up over 30% this year, including a nice bump today, can Cisco stock continue to go up? Yes. Is it a good long-term play? Yes. Because Chuck Robbins is now the leader, number one in, in, in cybersecurity and number one in 5G. This stock, he has set that company up for the two most important trends in tech. Chuck Robbins. Ah. Tom in Massachusetts, please, Tom. Good evening, Jim. Good evening. And a New England bull yet to you. All right. Hey, so my stock is PPL. And uh, I got a little profit. I got in it last June. And uh, nice dividend, two point. I mean, five point two. Yeah, I, I know it. Yeah, it's, I'm just wondering what effect Brexit will have on this. Nah, you're fine. Boy, I used to write them big checks. You're fine with that one. Uh, you know what? A five percent yield is a terrific yield to have, and uh, that's been consistent. I used to own that stock a long time ago because I said, you know what? I keep paying them every month, like everybody else. I'll own the stock. But fortunately, I moved out of that area. Let's go to Robert in Florida, please, Robert. Yeah, hey, Jim, thank you. I appreciate your taking my call. Of course. Uh, I've watched your show for many years, oh, and I've learned you. a tremendous amount from you, so thank you very, very much. You are welcome. <laughs> Listen, my question, I'm a physician, and I have a lot of interest in healthcare stocks, and I'm calling about a small pharmaceutical company uh, located down here in Florida, Therapeutics MD, TXMD. It's uh, they've got three FDA approvals. They've got one drug on the market. They've got a second drug being launched this month, and the share price has been really beaten down. There's a very large short interest, but I think their numbers are good, and I think the stock is undervalued. I have a small position, okay. and I'd like to add to it, but I want your uh, uh, you know what I've been baffled by further. it. I've been I've been baffled, Doc. I mean, I honestly I I liked them when they've been on. They've been on a couple of times. They have the hormone replacements. It just it doesn't click and. I don't know why. I'm happy to have him back, but boy, I, I don't know. It, the shorts are keeping a lid on it, or it's just something I'm missing. But, you know, look, I, it's a good spec. How about that? Earnings season shifted into high gear just today. While I think a lot of the, the companies reporting are a wait and see story, I'm giving you the all clear to pick up some of the transport. Oh, man, man, money tonight. With news that Bristol Myers shareholders have approved the drug maker's $74 billion deal with Celgene. What's next for the company? I'm talking with the CEO, and you know I'm fired up about that one. Then on pins and needles, ahead of Pinterest IPO. <laughs> I'm eyeing the company ahead of its debut. And who is winning and losing in brick and mortar? I'm getting insight into the retail sector and finding out where the opportunities could be lurking with a man who knows. So stay with Kramer! 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. Beginning of the year, Bristol-Myers announced a massive $74 billion takeover for Celgene, the biotech with a huge oncology pipeline. I've been a big believer in this deal ever since CEO Giovanni Cafario came on this show and explained his reasoning earlier this year. Not everyone was on the same page. A starboard value, uh, increasingly prominent activist hedge fund, took a minor stake in Celgene and tried to block the deal. Fortunately, Today, Celgene shareholders formally approved the transaction, which means there's one less barrier in the way of the takeover. So let's check back with Giovanni Cafario. He's the chairman and CEO of Bristol-Myers. Get a better sense of the vision about what he's going to do with Celgene. Dr. Cafario, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thank you, Giovanni. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I've been thinking about how best to have our viewers get excited about this. And I'm thinking you basically are creating a new youth company. You've got existing drugs that are winning. But then you've also created a company that has so much in the pipeline. I think you should talk about that pipeline, how big it can be. Well, Jim, let me say first, we're very pleased with the outcome of today's vote. We are getting one step closer right. uh, to creating that great company. And when do you think final? Uh, third quarter. Uh, we're confident okay. in the third quarter. And when the two companies come together, we have two growing businesses, great people. We're going to be able to launch six new medicines potentially in the next two years. Uh, it's going to be a, a great company, create value for shareholders, very good for patients. So talk about some of the five, because I think that this comes down to, I mean, by the way, the, the deck, Giovanni tells you everything, plays totally transparent. Anyone can look at this. You know, when I look at these, Celgene provides five late stage products with near term approvals. You are not a braggadocio, but I will tell you, I see multiple billions on this one page. Well, Jim, that's uh, really the value of the deal is the pipeline. And uh, we talk about five pipeline assets, potential launches in the next uh, two years. In fact, three of those uh, medicines have been filed with the FDA in, uh, uh, since the beginning of the year. So we're making great progress already, which is validating our thesis. Uh, four of those are in hematology, an area uh, that Celgene knows really well. As you know, Celgene is a leader in multiple myeloma. Uh, and uh, four of those medicines have the potential to be really transformational. Why do you think uh, that, that Bristol-Myers stock, 
uh, has not gone up in the sense that you and I would think it has. Maybe it's starboard tainted it, but you, you have earnings power for multiple years before you even have the new drugs take over. I mean, this is the lowest multiple drug company. This is Bristol Myers. I don't get it. So, Jim, I'm focused and we're focused on creating value know, for the long I know, term. But I'm, you know. And uh, we're getting to work uh, on the integration. Oh. We're very focused on the integration. Uh, we're going to bring the two companies together well. As we start working together, we have an opportunity to launch new medicines right away. I believe the value of the new company will be demonstrated rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I think in this deal, there is a lot of value for shareholders. Okay, so how worried do we have to be about Revlimid in the, in the deck that you created? You do have a down year coming up out there. Well, you know, we've been conservative, of right, course, because right. we know that Revlimid is uh, uh, going to lose exclusivity. Right. But again, in the last two months, there have been two opinions from the patent office that have been positive. There has been an agreement, as you know, between Celgin and a generic company, which really validates our theory. So we're confident that we've taken the right approach. And uh, obviously, that was important to us. But remember, we are uh, acquiring Celgin because of the strength of the pipeline right. and the ability to sustain the growth of the company for the long term. A lot of times people are worried about a balance sheet after a takeover. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think your balance sheet is actually stronger the day the deal closes. Yeah, we'll have strong financial flexibility. Uh, the cash flow of the combined company in the first three years is over $45 billion of free cash flow. We'll be able to delever quickly and pay the debt. So the, the company will be able to continue to be really flexible from a financial perspective, uh, and that's from day one. How about immunotherapy? We know that so many companies are paying huge multiples for immunotherapy. Celgin seems to have a ton of it, and nobody's talking about it. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say, we are one of the leading companies in immunotherapy. Obdivo is a very strong franchise, and on our side at Bristol Myers Squibb, we've got 20 registrational studies coming. Uh, so the growth of Obdivo will continue to be fueled by new data in multiple tumor types. And in the pipeline of, of both companies, in fact, in the pipeline of bristol Myers Squibb going forward, there will be many opportunities to continue to strengthen our presence in immunotherapy. So that remains a really big area of focus for us. Uh, just like I asked about Revlimid, Obdivo, where are we in terms of major concern that things just kind of just don't stack up against Keytruda? So let me just say, first of all, Obdivo is a very successful medicine. It's a foundational treatment in cancer. We have approval in 16 indications. Key indications we have, we are the market leader. Uh, we have multiple studies that are going to be reading, reading out beginning this year in lung cancer, mm -hmm. following up in many new tumors. And then in the medium and the long term, we have a leading program in early disease, something called the adjuvant treatment right, of cancer. Right, right. There is significant potential there. So. I see Obdivo as a growing franchise. We're doing very well. When Celgene uh, bought Receptos, I believe that Ozanamod was one of the biggest drugs, could be one of the biggest drugs of all time. Something happened where it fell back. Uh, was it anything that would made it so you can't get the do-over? And, and irritable bowel, we don't have anything good. This was supposed to be best in class. Can it be? Well, first of all, let me say I'm really pleased that it was filed. Uh, again, with the FDA, I think that's an important uh, step. Uh, we looked at those animals as a really important part of the deal. We believe it is a, potentially a great medicine. The first indication, as you know, will be multiple sclerosis. But there is some early data that is very promising uh, in inflammatory bowel disease. The unmet medical need in both of those areas is very, very big. Uh, and those animals potentially is a really important product. So there has been progress in the first quarter with the filing uh, in, with the FDA, but there's more to come. Now, when that deal was done, 
Uh, I was surprised that after the, the submission right after was was it done poorly? What happened? Because I tainted everybody's view of this excellent drug. Uh, it is uh, it is an excellent uh, molecule, and we looked at that uh, a lot in due diligence. Uh, we're happy that it was filed with the FDA again, uh, and I think it's on a good path. Uh, within six months, a year, what do you think? Well, that depends on the FDA, and it's oh. difficult to say. Unmet but needs, they move fast these days. Right. Anyway, this is the cheapest I've ever seen Bristol during that Plavix period, and that was a different kind of company, not your kind of company. That's Giovanni Cafarios, the chairman and CEO of Bristol Myers Squibb, and I've got to tell you, you want a drug stock, not when it's soaring, but when they're giving it away. We have money's back after the break. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. After the implosion that was lift, the Wall Street IPO machine is back in action. This week, we got three well-received technology deals. We got PagerDuty, Huffington Software, and Jumia, all of which jumped right out of the gate and then continued to roar higher. This comes on top of the terrific trade web market deal from last week, which I recommended just last Friday. You know, it's given us a 14% gain. But as I've told you before, this kind of action does make me nervous. On the one hand, successful IPOs breed still more deals, and sooner or later, the market ends up getting glutted with new stocks. Sell, 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 sell. That tends to weigh down everything else. On the other hand, successful IPOs can also make you a lot of money if you know what you're doing. Witness TradeWeb. So we have to keep an eye out for new opportunities, even as we worry about what all these deals mean for the broader market. And next week, this whole process shifts, like so many other things around here, into high gear. There could be as many as eight IPOs coming, including one of the big ones, and that big one is Pinterest. So could this soon-to-be-minted stock be worth grabbing, or will it turn out to be another dud like Lyft? Let's dive into this one. For those of you who don't know, Pinterest is one part social network, one part catalog of ideas. The online pin board platform bills itself as a, quote, visual discovery engine, end quote, where you find and do what you love. Well, I got to tell you, who doesn't like that? The site started as a tool to help people collect images of things that they're passionate about. But since then, it's become much more than that. It helps you find things you didn't know you were looking for. And it's a haven, frankly, of positivity and an incredibly toxic social media landscape. Pinterest now has 250 million monthly users, pinners they call them, two-thirds of whom are women. And this is not just a friendly platform. It's also an advertising-friendly platform. Think about it like this. The whole point of Pinterest is to share pictures and videos, including pictures and videos of stuff you might want to buy. When you already know exactly what you want, you can just plug it into a search engine and order it from wherever, The thing is, you don't always have the words to describe what you're looking for, but you often know it when you see it. And that's where Pinterest comes in. It's all about discovery, about visual searches. In fact, they've invested heavily in computer vision, 
so that their algorithms, yes, algorithmic, their algorithms recommend the right images to their user base. According to one survey, 85% of Pinterest users say they go to the site when they start a new project. 68% of users say they've discovered a new brand or product there. Or as the company puts it in their prospectus, people actively seek relevant commercial content on our service, and advertisers are increasingly providing it. What else? Two-thirds of their users are women, and the typical Pinterest-using household spends 29% more than the average household. This is like the holy grail for targeted advertising. And you know that's what Wall Street loves. So in theory, we like the concept, but let's drill down. What about the numbers? While Pinterest user growth has slowed here in the U.S., that's a negative, it's been expanding like crazy overseas, a positive but not as noticed. 184 million monthly average users in the fourth quarter, up from 139 million in 2017 and 90 million in 2016. More importantly, their average revenue per user increased by 25% last year. Nice stat, rising to $3.14. Given that they make $9 per user in the U.S. and just $0.25 cents per user in the rest of the world, the company still has a ton of room to monetize their international business. There's one thing that gives me pause here, though. Pinterest had a dip in its user numbers during the second quarter of last year, which the company attributed to a change in Facebook's authentication system. Oh, God, you hate to see that kind of thing, right? Basically hostage to Facebook's policies? That's suboptimal. On the other hand, financials, I, I got to call them amazing. Pinterest revenue growth accelerated to 60% last year, up from 58% in 2017. At the same time, their gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, has been expanding like crazy. I love gross margin growth. 46% in 2016, 62% in 2017, 68% last year. Even better, the company seems to be within striking distance of turning a profit here. They'll probably end up generating actual earnings sometime this year, which is pretty good for a newly public company. I think it's my favorite hook for why it's intriguing. Now, on Monday, Pinterest provided guidance for the first quarter as part of its prospectus. They're talking about 51 to 54% revenue growth. I, I, that's pretty solid, huh? They also forecasted 291 glo- million global monthly average users, up 22% year over year. Margins keep getting better, too. So what do we do with this one when it comes this week? I think that there's some price. There's a price where Pinterest is absolutely worth owning. It's a good story. Eh, not perfect, but good However, as we saw with the botched lift deal, valuation really matters. If the IPO price is too high and then the stock spikes an insane amount of right out of the gate, there's a real possibility that the stock could quickly reverse, turning into a garbage fire. In short, Pinterest is worth owning, but only at the right price. And what is that right price? Okay, right now the company's talking about an intended price range of 15 to 17 bucks, uh, which would make this thing a 10 to $11 billion company, and not insane. According to a terrific analysis by Lucinda Shen in Fortune, if the stock stays at 17, Pinterest's most recent venture capital investors will be underwater. They'll be down. These are major players we're talking about. Goldman Sachs, Kleiner Perkins, Vanguard, uh, who got in on Pinterest when it was valued at $12.3 billion. That's 9% more than the high end of the range. They actually paid $21.54 a share. So arguably the deal is coming at a 25% discount to the last round of private financing. Do we like this? Is it a bargain? Did the venture capital investors make a mistake? Are we getting in on a good deal? Okay, at the midpoint of the range, Pinterest will be trading at roughly 9.5 times this year's sales. Not earnings, but sales. And seven times next year's sales estimate. Although those numbers are based on a single analyst at uh, Atlantic Equities who rolled out coverage on Pinterest with a buy rating earlier this week. He's assuming the company can grow at a 46% clip this year, slowing to a 36% clip next year, which seems reasonable to me. But again, just it's all back in the envelope. How does that stack up against the others as similar stocks, what we call the comps? Well, it puts Pinterest at a slight 
discount to Snap. That's at 10 times this year's sales, nearly eight times next year's numbers. But it would be a premium to Twitter at 7.6 times this year's sales forecast and 6.6 times next year's numbers. I think that's a good analog. Oh, and it would be much more expensive than the busted Lyft, which has a faster growth rate, yet now trades at a mere five times forward sales. And eh, not great, especially since I don't expect that stock to stay in the price range. I expect it to pop, which will make Pinterest even more expensive. Here's the bottom line on this incredibly interesting Hard to figure mess amount of work that we did on this piece. The bottom line, Pinterest has a neat concept. And even though uh, I am definitely not, no, let me see how strongly I can do this. Completely not part of the target demographic. I can see that it's a fabulous platform for advertisers. That said, unless you can get in on the actual IPO, okay, not in the aftermarket, actual IPO, I'd be very hesitant to buy this stock above the price range. If you want an online advertising play, Hey, I got an idea. How about Alphabet or Facebook? Chris in Louisiana. Chris. Booyah, Jim. Man, love the show. What's going on? Uh, I'm oh, new to you. investing, so I took your advice. Um, I started with the S&P 500. Good. Now I'm ready to start trading some individual stocks. Okay. Um, I'm in the security industry, and I offer the loan.com security services. Okay. What is your advice on ALRM? Well, look, I mean, it's good company, 52-week high today. But you know what? This is the kind of thing that I, I, I mean, I can bring more to the party uh, on the actual financials. But you are a professional. And what I find, and this is great, you did an index fund, and then you use your own knowledge, put it to work, to buy Alarm.com, which is a very good company, and you're doing it right. That's what I want to see. Take your interest and do the homework. Larry in Florida. Larry. Jim, thanks for taking my call. And of a big course. booyah to you. Booyah back. Microsoft has been on quite a run since the first of the year. Is this indicative of their cloud growth, and is there more of this to come like this? Or is this time to take some money off the table and <sighs> sit around and, and, and wait to get back in at a lower number? Ah, it's really interesting you say that because we, we had a club call for ActionAlertsPlus.com today, and I was so tempted to say take some Microsoft off the table, but then I felt like I did that for PayPal, and that was wrong. And these companies, and PayPal's faster grower, but these companies have terrific businesses. Microsoft's business that is Azure, which is their cloud business, is one of the fastest growing other than Amazon Web Services. I don't want to sell it. I don't know where you can get back in. It might go down a little, but I don't want to sell it. All right, I can see why advertisers are drawn to Pinterest Factors platform. I do a lot of work on this piece because it's not mine, okay? But I did talk to enough people. Some people feel, eh, not as good as it used to be, but international. Wow, potential investors, I don't think it's a buy unless you can get in on the IPO or it pulls back. Much more mad money ahead. Who is winning and losing in brick and mortar? Well, I'm talking to a man who's making the call. And 24 hours ago, we didn't know it could be this good, did we? I'll tell you what to do if you missed out on this transformative day and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. This was fun. It was a good, yeah, this was a good Friday. Thank you. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. You know I get fired up about certain things. I'm passionate about retail. J.P. Morgan held its annual retail round of conference hosted by Matthew Boss. And for my money, the best retail analyst on Wall Street, maybe just take out the word retail and say analyst. 
So far, we've used this shindig as an opportunity to speak to the retailers themselves. Kohl's, remember Michelle Goss, she crushed it. Ollie's bargain, oh man, Butler, he's so good. But tonight we've got a chance to hear from the organizer himself. Only analyst we put on the show. Mr. Boss, welcome back to Man Bunny. <laughs> good to see you, Matt. Great to be back, Jim. Once again, Matt, just an amazing conference. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it, it, from the very top, we need to know, you heard from everybody. Is the consumer spending back confident? What's the story? Yeah, so the number one theme at the conference was confidence in the consumer. The consumer is resilient. The one takeaway, though, I would say is not as good as 2018. So consumer is strong. You take a 10-year view, very strong. But looking at 2019 versus 18, 2018 had the tax reform tailwinds. Right. Now, did anybody really typify what the uh, situation is right now? So I think the best way to think about it is near term, you had some turbulence in January and February. The weather was abnormal for retail. You had the tax refund delays, but it seems like it's coming back. So it's going to be a second half weighted first quarter. But I think the year is going to be brick and mortar, winners versus losers, with e-commerce still really driving the, uh, driving the engine. All right, so let's figure uh, who are some winners versus losers. Let's start with value, convenience, because yes. a lot of the companies that our viewers, retailers, like to go to, yeah. they're fascinated by the stocks themselves. Right, so perfect place to start, because I think value, convenience, and innovation are the three buckets to win. Okay. Value, convenience is discount and off-price. In the discounters, I know it's one of your favorites. We upgraded five below this week. Uh, yes. Just a phenomenal story. So best store returns in all of retail. Disney's slate that they no, released best, today. Yeah, they've got... I was going to ask two. you whether they can make money off this. Frozen 2 coming up. When, when Frozen 1 came out, Five Below crushed it. They had, didn't get any merchandise direct. Now they have a merchandising team that is as robust as anybody in retail, and they have 750 stores, so real size and scale to build on. Dollar General is your compounder within the group. Ollie's, you mentioned, led by oh. Mark Butler. Phenomenal niche retailer with a ton of growth runway. Um, so to me, value, convenience. And the last place I would say is off-price. Burlington, this pullback, I think, was a steal. And I know you highlighted it on the show recently. Well, I mean, look, to me, they were very abject that they made two mistakes. Well, we have weather, but you had a little bit of yes. a power wrong. It sounded like, like PVH. They're going to course correct. And yes. this is your only chance. Yes. And so the, the last piece I would say is innovation. So to me, with the innovators, that's the global brands. And so okay. within the global brands, you have Nike. Nike was at the conference. They could not have sounded better. Can you believe that, that you got that chance to buy it again after that quarter, which you and I both know was okay? That's right. So to me, Nike's talking about refreshing the core. 70% of all items under $100 are going to be refreshed by back to school and into holiday. Huge opportunity. Probably a lateral opportunity for Foot Locker as well. I think the growth story at Lululemon oh. still has legs. I still like the risk reward on Lulu, even after the triple. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about this stock at $50. After the triple, I still think there's opportunity. Um, so Nike, Lulu, and then PVH and Ralph Lauren, right. I think are your value plays within the space. I want to talk about uh, an interview that we had that stood out to almost every single viewer. It was Michelle, Michelle yes. Goss and Coles. Yes. Uh, and I heard the same word every single time, which is, Crushed it. Yes. Crushed. Yes. Crushed. This person is doing a remarkable job. Can you spell out that case? Because I was looking at it today and said, what is it doing in the 60s? It doesn't make any sense. Right. So I think what she's doing that's different across retail is she's taking the blank slate approach. She came in and is looking at Kohl's 
from the ground up in that they have over a thousand boxes. They're a brick and mortar retailer. So if you organized it today, what would that box look like? So she's the one that's come in and started to forge these partnerships like Planet Fitness, Amazon. So she's looking at the box and saying, how much do we need for the core Kohl's box? And then how do we think about driving traffic? As you know, traffic is what drives retail, and that's how you win. And so I like her approach from the ground up and thinking about it like a blank slate. Okay, I just want to be sure the stocks that we went over are stocks you like, and if people want to buy them, they can buy them here and feel confident. That's right, yeah. I I think there are stocks, I think there are absolutely stocks to own in the retail sector. It's value, convenience, and innovation, and that's the key to winning. Perfect. That's Matt Boss, J.P. Morgan, retail analyst. Again, the only analyst we put on, and the best conference of the year. And money's back in. Right. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, it's over the lightning round. Let's go with Victor inside corner. Victor! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Great show. Thanks for all the help. Thank you. I've, I've had my favorite uh, stock square for over a year now, and I was just wondering if I should hold on to it no, or not. No, I like it. It's fintech. I do like PayPal a little more, but PayPal is going so far, so far, so fast. And this one's been stuck ever since the fabulous Sarah Fryer left. Square's okay. Let's go to Jeffrey in New York. Jeffrey! Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. How are you doing today? I am good, Jeffrey. How about you? Doing well. Thank you very much. Um, so here's the stock I wanted to ask. Um, it's about Cabot Oil Gas Corp, uh, COG. High-quality company. A lot of great Pennsylvania acres. Marcellus Shale. I think it is a good one. <laughs> Let's go to Diana in Florida. Diana. Hi, Jim. Diana. You have a great show there. Thank you. Um, I'm, a, no, I'm not a smoker, but I do have PM stock for many years now. Right. And the question I have for you is, are, are they going to are they going to have interest in cannabis like uh, Altria has yeah, interest I, in it, uh, Kronos, I think. But this is a hard one. Hey, or keep. I, I don't like to recommend the tobacco stock. It does have a good yield. Uh, it's not real cannabis play. Uh, Canopy is the only one I'm recommending in that group. By the way, they're very hard to own. So this is a touchy subject, Philip Morris, and I, um, I, I, I can't recommend it. Uh, let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing today? I am good, Paul. How about you? Okay, it's another Friday under the belt. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> My stock is Bungie Limited. BG. Yeah, I, I mean, ag business is bad. I mean, look at the crop protection business from Dow DuPont. Wow. I mean, we got to steer clear from this for right now. I, mean, I don't smell a bargain. I just smell something bad. Mark in Oregon. Mark. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. All right. I'll give you an Ashley Booyah. (laughs) I'm interested in Greenbrier. The ticker is GBX. Stay interested, but don't pull the trigger. I'd rather see it in CSX. I think that's a better buy. How about Todd in Iowa? Todd! Hi, Mr. Kramer. Uh, Really enjoyed your show. I've been watching it since the old uh, Cudlow and Kramer days. Oh, my. How How about how well Larry did, huh? <laughs> uh, I kind of wish I was back in. Uh, I'm calling from Iowa, but I kind of wish I was back in uh, Colorado at my uh, bed and breakfast uh, uh, near Beaver Creek, uh, MineHouseUSA.com. Uh, uh, we'd like to invite you out to come and visit, some, visit us sometime. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice uh, offer. 
All right. But, uh, my uh, my call is about uh, L- I've been trying to try to trying to find a company that's uh, growing nice and steady and has some uh, uh, good management. Okay. Uh, and uh, LCII, LCI Industries, formerly known as Drew Industries. Uh, they look like they're a nice, slow, steady grower. Yeah, they got low debt equity. You gotta be equity. careful. You gotta be careful because of El- their Elkhart, which we know has. I mean, I gotta tell you, that is the tightest labor market in the world. So I think you gotta worry about your raw cost expenses. But you got a good one. It's good. But I do worry about costs. Okay. Hey, we're not done. Let's go to Greg in Tennessee. Greg. Good day, Mr. Kramer. TGIF. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, I don't know what to do with AbbVie. Uh, some people are telling me that uh, their sun rises and sets on Humira, and I should bail before they lose their patent protection. And others say their future is bright and they have good things in the pipeline. What do you think? Well, I know that's it. it, it, it. I got to tell you, I'm worried. I think the former is true. I'm worried about the patent. But you know what? Look at Celgene. They were rolling over, and then suddenly lightning struck. So I'm not going to tell you to sell AbbVie down here. I just can't do that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It's a pleasure to be talking to the king of the market. It's been devastating for bad baths. Bad baths. Bad baths. Hey, by the way, Monleys, we've been eating these Tate's cookies all weekend. Gotta, gotta cut back. You need to storm the Bastille, take over the Assad General, set up a new regime. She loves me. She loves me not. When you're not on, I don't even want to watch TV. Then Ollie sells a bargain, but is the stock a bargain? Really? Let me tell you something. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'll get to that in a second. I don't give a I don't give a Oh, what do we got? So you missed Disney. You missed J.P. Morgan. And you missed Anadarko. Now what do you do? First, don't kick yourself. I've been a huge bull on Disney. But even I didn't expect the level of specificity that CEO Bob Iger gave you today for the future of the new Disney. And it's certainly a new Disney. Even though my kids are grown up, I can still recall all the Disney movies of their youth. And I paid a fortune to buy them on VHS, no less, back in the day. Now they're rolling out a streaming service system that costs just $6.99 a month? I mean, that's ridiculously cheap, but that's, that's a bargain. For once, no one cared about the shrinkage of ESPN's subscriber base. That's become a sideshow. The new post-Fox acquisition Disney has a multi-year roadmap, and that's what drove the stock up 13 bucks today. J.P. Morgan reported one of the best quarters I've ever seen from a bank. Really? Ever. Last night, I warned you that there are so many different line items that it can be very hard to figure out why the financials go up or down after a given quarter. But J.P. Morgan cut the Gordian knot by simply beating expectations on every single line item, including capital markets and trading. It was an unasterisk beat, meaning it was clean, no hair on it whatsoever. Business got better sequentially over the course of the quarter. We love that. March was a bang-up month. Welcome to the world at J.P. Morgan. Yes, it was that kind of quarter. No wonder the stock folded nearly five bucks. It's not done. How about Chevron's takeover bid for Anadarko? Now, I think it's probably too late to play this one. Granted, there was another bidder. It's Occidental Petroleum, according to David Faber. And maybe Occidental fires back with a higher offer. But I don't see how they can ever outspend Chevron, which is offering $33 billion cash and stock in its deeper pockets. If I'm Vicki Hall, the CEO of Occidental, I'd give up on this one and start looking for another target. But something does smell bad about why Anadarko went with Chevron, not Oxy. Because I think Oxy was a superior bid. 
So what do you do with these mega winners? First, as much as I like Disney, I hate to chase, and I think it may be too late here to buy it. But is it too late to buy Viacom or CBS? Everybody seems to want content these days, and for $40 billion, you could put those two together and acquire them both. I know I do prefer Viacom if you only want one because it's performing better. That's why we own it for the Travel Trust, and we're increasing our position. It, tur- it turns out Viacom can't easily be extracted from the cable bundle because they have too many major properties like Nickelodeon and Comedy Central. They also own Paramount, and they have a great library. With CBS, you get the Masters, the NFL, and years upon years of sitcoms that I don't really care for, but I guess they're most watched or something. It's a bargain for potential acquire. Want another way to play Disney? Well, you could buy Apple. And Netflix, both of which were down today because of Disney's new streaming service. Too many people are assuming this is all just a zero-sum business. That's just not the case, people. Regardless of what Disney does, people are going to buy Apple's TV package, too. Hey, listen, it's right on your iPad or your iPhone, wherever you go. It's all part of your life, and that's why you should own it, Apple, and don't trade it. Hey, by the way, it doesn't hurt that Morgan Stanley's Katie Uber, the best analyst covering Apple, now says that the Chinese numbers have improved dramatically. No one paid attention to that. Same moi, except for me. As for the banks, I think J.P. Morgan remains the cheapest, even, even after today's run. I don't see any of the others beating this number. So the possible session may be of Morgan Stanley, which reports next Wednesday. If that stock ends up pulling back based on weakness from, say, Goldman or City, pounce. Finally, how about this anti-darko situation? Usually speculating which oil companies will get struck by lightning is a fool's game. But I think Occidental, BP, and Exxon will all step up now. Best analogs, let's see, I have a Pioneer, Sheffield's good, Simerex, and... Touchy quarter, noble, not a lot of great growth. Concho like Apache, too much nat gas, don't tell. That said, you should wait for these to come down. The oils are still in bear market mode. Look at how bad Apache performed today. Uh, I don't want you picked off. Most importantly, while today was full of transformative news, it was not a transformative day. Depending on what happens Monday, we could go right back to the grind because the cards, they have no memory. Still, you got to feel more sanguine about a market where so many phenomenal things can happen out of nowhere. And we're not just even thought about 24 hours ago. Stick with Graham. Early in the day, I called up the fantastic reporting by Phil LeBeau. You know what? I slighted my partner, David Faber. First, he breaks the story about Occidental somehow being turned down by Anna Darko. I don't get that at all. But then his Disney coverage was extraordinary. And I think he really put in the context that you need to know that that is going to be a winner. But don't sell Apple. That's just stupid. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.